The last five weeks we've been talking about grace. Grace is undeserved favor. It is giving us what we don't deserve. And it's been, it's been awesome for me. And I've really enjoyed this journey. It's strengthened, it's strengthened my, my courage. It's strengthened my faith. It's strengthened my confidence in my relationship with God. And I hope it's achieved the same thing with you. Amazing grace. Un, undeserved favor. Unmerited love. But here's the thing that I want to get to, and, and this is what makes this sixth talk different from the other five. If you're like me, if you grew up in church or if you've had some religious connection, chances are you and I tend to look at grace as sort of a passive thing. It's a gift we receive. It's like we have our hands out and God puts grace in our hands. Either the redemptive grace that brings us into a relationship with God or the daily grace that we talked about last week. Every day God rains down good things in our lives. Or even if it's a gifting, it's the gifting that allows us to do special things that other people may not be able to do. However you want to characterize grace, most of us tend to look at it like this. We have our hands out. God puts the gift in our hands. We enjoy the gift and hold on to the gift. Today, it's going to change our thinking to see grace in a whole new way. Because what happens when we receive grace is that grace, as we saw three weeks ago, grace actually transforms us. It's not just something that we receive and thank you, God, I'll see you in heaven. Grace is not a, just a gift we receive. It's a force that transforms us. I want to take you very, very briefly to a story in John's Gospel, chapter 4, where Jesus intersects a woman who has no grace in her life. In fact, her life has been a disaster. I don't know how old she is. I always see her about 30, but maybe I'm wrong. She might have been younger. She might have been older. I don't know. I know she lived in a place where the true God was not worshipped. She lived in a place where there were basically no rules. And in an environment of no rules, she would have been even a bad example if in a world where there was no rules. She had been married and divorced five times, sleeping with a man who was not her husband, who would not give her his name. Basically, here is a woman who thought her life was over. And you and I have met men and women like that. They, just, they may be 25, but it's it. They're just marking time until they die. So what she doesn't know is that Jesus has made a trip to her part of the world just to see her. Jesus has come to bring her grace. She is graceless. He is coming to bring her grace. Of course, she doesn't know who he is. She will not go to the well in the morning or in the afternoon or in the evening when it's cool because she knows that other women will be going to get water and they're going to be talking about her. I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but have you ever been in a situation where you knew there were people and you're not just, it's not just that you have an inferiority complex. People really were talking about you. And so she just decided, hey, it's just not worth it to go to the well when other people talk. So she went in the heat of the day, and Jesus knows she's going to be there, and he meets her there. And so what he begins to do is he begins to talk to her about what grace would do in her life. And that's where I want to pick things up, because we get the name of our church from this particular verse. Look at this. He said, those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. Now, the living water that Jesus is talking about is just a metaphor for grace. He is saying, look I, look, I know you think your life is over, and you don't think you deserve anything, which you don't, because you screwed up a lot of different ways. But Jesus isn't even going there. She knows that already. So basically, he is saying, look, if you will accept grace, if you will accept grace, look at this, it becomes a fresh, bubbling spring, giving eternal life. And I think, I think New Spring, I find this so interesting. And, that, and again, that's where we get our name, New Spring. Because when you receive grace, I love it Jesus didn't say it becomes a pond or it becomes a lake, which in Kansas is the same thing. 
He didn't say it becomes a pond or a lake or a pool. He said it becomes a spring. See, a spring involves energy and motion. In fact, Webster's definition or dictionary definition of a spring is a source of supply. In other words, a pond may hold a certain amount of water, but a spring is a supply. And it's a source of water issuing from the ground. So this is what Jesus is saying to you and to me and to this woman at the well. If you will accept grace, it isn't going to be a pond in you. And it's not going to be a pool. It's going to be a spring. There's going to be motion and energy to this grace that comes into your life. Guys, i got to tell you, months ago, when I got the idea for this series, I was in my personal devotions, and I was reading a verse out of 1 Peter. And I don't know, for those of you who read your Bibles, you ever have an experience like this, you come across a verse that you've read time and time and time again, and it's like you're just going, yep, 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 read that, read that, read that, check, 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 check. And then all of a sudden you read the verse that you've read a hundred times, and it's as if all of a sudden it flashes in neon, and you think, this is a world changer. And it was this particular verse that led me into the series that we're in. And today, after six weeks, we finally come to the verse that started this whole thing. And it's this. As each one of us has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. And look at this line. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. i got to just tell you, when I looked at that line, I thought this would change my life if I could really embrace it as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. All right, let's talk about what that one sentence involves. First of all, you're a recipient of God's grace. It says so. And we've already clarified that. We know that you and I have received grace over and over in our lives. The second thing is the word manifold. It's one of the few times in the New Testament this particular Greek word is used. It means multicolored. If you've ever read in the Bible about, you know, Jacob making a multicolored coat for Joseph, or maybe you saw Joseph in the Technicolor dream coat, you know that that was a gift a father gave to a son to show his favor to this particular son. He gave him a coat of many colors. Well, your heavenly father, God, has woven for you a coat of many colors of grace. There are all kinds of manifold grace, multicolored grace, redemptive grace, daily grace, special grace, just all kinds of grace that God has given to us. Now, look at this. The Bible says you and I are to become stewards, managers of this multicolored grace. Now, what's really interesting to me here is when we are to be stewards, the Bible explains to us what that stewardship looks like. Look back at verse 10 of 1 Peter 4 again. Serving one another as good stewards of the grace of God. Well, this is really interesting to me because what it says to me is I'm not just a passive recipient of God's grace. Grace is meant to flow through me to other people. In fact, and I hope this doesn't sound sacrilegious, in a way you and I become franchisees. You know, we could go over to Wichita State and you can see the very first Pizza Hut. But I remember seeing a Pizza Hut in Inverness, Scotland. There are Pizza Huts all over the world. And now there are outlets for pizza everywhere. It started right here in Wichita, but now all over the world there's Pizza Hut pizza. And I think that, and that's a very crude illustration, but what God is saying is, I want you to receive grace, and I want you to become a franchisee of my grace so that everybody who comes into contact with you receives grace. And I've, I've shared this with you several times, and I wish I knew, I wish I was eloquent enough to really get this across. But every time you interact with God, it will always be on the basis of grace. Whenever people experience judgment or hell, it's because they flip God off and they don't want to have an interaction with God and there's nothing left. But I promise you, anytime you interact with God, it will always be on the basis of grace. God cannot help himself. He is a God of grace. 
And so, if we're his sons and daughters, and we've received his grace, the multicolored grace of God, then we're to become franchisees of God's grace and give grace to others. Now, it's way too early for me to ask this question, because I'm just now beginning to develop this, but let's just pull over the side of the road for a moment. You and I know that there are a lot of people in the world that claim to believe in Jesus Christ. Is the world always positive about Christ followers? No. Now, sometimes it's just because people just push back against God and against Christ. But I think a lot of times the reason why, why a lot of people in church and in, in Christianity don't always have a good reputation on the outside is there's a disconnect because we are recipients of God's grace. But when people come into interaction with us, they don't receive that grace. And they're led to believe, oh, if that's what Jesus is like, if Jesus is like her, if Jesus is like him, I don't want anything to do with it. Well, just imagine with me while we're pulled over the side of the road here, you know, we'll get back to the message in just a moment. But imagine what it would be like if all the hundreds of millions of people, if not, you know, a billion people or so who claim to follow Jesus Christ. Imagine what it would be like if we woke up every morning and said, I am just a fountain of grace. What can I do to add value to anybody who comes across me today? How do you think the world would look at Jesus? Just ask him. Just ask him. Well, it could be that somebody's here this morning, and if you're a typical American, you know how we are. We tend to evaluate our situation by people who have more. We, we evaluate our health by people who have better health. We evaluate our money by people who have more money. We evaluate our car by people who have better cars. And many of us have very fine lives, but, you know, all we can see is somebody who has more. It's just the American way. It could be that you're here today and you're saying, Mark, oh, man, I really screwed up coming to church today. This is the first week of spring break. It's cloudy outside. I can't believe I went to church today. And you're going to talk about me giving something away to somebody else when I need somebody to give something to me. Did I catch you? It's like, oh, no, I don't even know why I came today. I understand how you feel because I can be that way too. But can you... Can you possibly imagine your life if you had no grace? See, it's so easy for us to look at what we're missing and not look at all the grace that we have. What would your life look like if you were graceless? What would your life look like if you began piece by piece to subtract all the good things that God has given you? Well, to have a real example that you would have to talk, you'd have to interview somebody in hell. But I did my best to find somebody, at least in the Bible, that pretty much had a graceless existence. And, 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 and hopefully you and I will be able to, to look at these poor guys and, and think about for a moment just how wealthy we are. And on top of that, we're going to learn a lesson from these guys. I, when I started thinking about all 66 books and where could I go in the Bible to find somebody graceless, I thought about some guys in 2 Kings chapter 6 and 7. They were lepers. I mean, just by itself, leprosy was an awful disease. The strain of leprosy in Bible times, it, it was something like this. That, you know, there would be a lesion that would come up on the back of your hand or your arm or your shoulder or your neck or something. It's just a lesion. And you know how we are. If something comes up on your skin, put Neosporin on it, it'll go away. But it doesn't go away. And before long, there's another lesion. The people were terrified of leprosy. Let me tell you, if you contracted leprosy back in Bible days, here's what would happen. First thing that would happen, you'd go into work and you'd say, I'm sorry. My career is over. I'm finished. I can't come back to work anymore. This is my last day. But that's just for starters, because the next place you would have to go is home, and you would have to say to your wife and kids, or to your husband and children, or to your parents, goodbye. I can't be part of this family anymore. And you would have to leave 
proper society, common society, and you would have to go out and congregate with other lepers. You would now live with other lepers. And if you got close to anybody else who was healthy, you would have to put some kind of cloth over your head and cry out unclean to warn people that you were coming. So not only do you have a terrible disease, you have a social stigma. I mean, think about this. You don't just call, hey, I'm sick, I'm sick. No, you got to say unclean because these sores oozed. And it was an awful disease. And beyond that, people knew that eventually it was going to claim their lives. Now, that's leprosy. But of all the lepers in the Bible, and there are many throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, the poorest ones have to be in 2 Kings chapter 7. Because I want to take you for a moment to the city that they had to live outside of. At this particular time, the city of Samaria, and by the way, that's interesting because we started with the woman from Samaria, didn't we? But the city of Samaria was going through a lot of grief because they had continued to push God away. And the king of Syria, or the king of Aram, had decided that he was going to attack the city of Samaria. But instead of a frontal attack and a war, he decided to do what many nations did back in the day. They just surrounded the city and cut them off from everything. More than you want to know. But a lot of times back in Bible days, cities were walled villages and the fields were outside the cities. That way they wouldn't have to put walls around you know, a lot more real estate. And so the people would live in the cities and go out and tend their fields and go out and get their food. Well, of course, when the city was cut off, the people could get out to their fields, and they were literally starving to death inside the city of Samaria. And the Bible is very graphic with us, explaining to us the depth of this famine. It said, a donkey's head. What are you having for lunch today? You might want to try this. I've never eaten donkey's head. I grew up in Texas. I've eaten a lot of things. I've eaten ants. I've eaten armadillo. But I've never eaten donkey's head. A donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver. A shekel was a month's wage. That means you have to work for 80 months to buy a donkey's head. And it said um, dove droppings, pigeon manure, were sold for five shekels. And if you wanted to buy real food, you could. In fact, less grain than it would take to feed a family for a week cost five years' pay. The Bible's very graphic about just how bad conditions were inside the city of Samaria. And, and, and because we have kids in here today, I'm not even going to tell you, I'm not even going to go to what this chapter says. Let's just say that the people had resorted to cannibalism. These were conditions inside the city. The lepers weren't allowed to live inside the city. They had to live outside the city. Well, in between them and the fields is the Syrian army. So they're not just starving to death. They're so starving to death. People inside the city are eating family members, but they're not even good enough to go inside the city where people are cannibalizing each other. You, can you understand why? When I wanted to find an example of gracelessness in the Bible, I picked these dudes. Now let's look at this. Because they start talking to each other. A four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gate said, why should we sit here waiting to die? We will starve if we stay here, but with the famine in the city, we'll starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live, so much the better, but if they kill us, we'd have died anyway. You, you see what they're saying. You know, I mean, they're just going to go out to the Syrians and say, just shoot us. You know, because we're going to die, we might as well die quick rather than die slow, and, and something's got to happen. What they don't understand is this is one of the first times in the history where sound effects, major sound effects were used because God just 
put a big boom box out there. I, I don't know that. But I mean, somehow he turned up the sound of an attacking army, and the Syrians thought, we're being attacked, and they just left. They left all their food. They left all their designer clothes. They left all their gold and silver. They left their money. They just ran. Now, get this in your head. These lepers are now walking out to the camp of the Syrians and saying, they're just going to kill us. But it's just, it's good that they're going to kill. They're going to kill us. They're going to kill us. They're going to kill us. They walk out there, and all of a sudden, there's a buffet out there with everything to eat. Man, we're not talking about donkey heads and pigeon manure anymore. I mean, we're talking about prime rib and mashed potatoes and, you know, chocolate pie. All my favorites are out there, shrimp cocktail. Uh, and they gorge and they just, you know, they're just eating and eating and eating. And then after a while, they start trying on the Armani clothes and they start trying on, you know, all the Gucci stuff and, and, and Ralph Lauren. And like, how do I look? Oh, you look great, man. And look at all the money around here. And they just start like, you know, filling up their stuff with money. And, and then they do something really peculiar that I think is so American. I mean, this is so American. Let me, let me, it's so American church. Look at this. When the lepers arrived at the edge of the camp, they went into one tent after another, eating and drinking wine. They carried off silver and gold and clothing and hid it. All these lepers. Do you see how they went from futile and graceless, we're dying to, we don't want anybody else to have this. Why do we do that? Why is it that, you know, when we didn't have anything, we were willing to share everything we had. But we get a little something and, oh, no, this is my stuff. Thankfully, they had a change of mind like you and I probably need today. Finally, they said to each other, this is not right. This is, and this is one of my favorite lines in all the Bible, this is a day of good news. i got to tell you something. Every day I get up, I think about this verse. This is a day of good news. Every day you're allowed to live, that's a day of good news. Every day you enjoy any of God's grace, it's a day of good news. And they said, this isn't right. This is a day of good news. And we aren't sharing it with anyone. If we wait till morning, some calamity will certainly befall us. Come on, let's go back and tell the people. That's a great story, and it tells us a whole lot about grace, but there's a lesson here that's really huge, and you and I are not going to miss it today. We're going to connect the dots, which is what most people can't do, and we're going to walk out of here with dots connected. Does it strike you that these guys suddenly have a purpose? When they were dying outside the city, they didn't have any purpose, did they? They, they were done. They were dead. Their lives were over. It's like the Samaritan woman. They're marking time, waiting to die. They have no purpose for living. Their lepers are dying, starving. But do they have a purpose now? I mean, just get this picture in your mind. People are back in the city starving, cannibalizing their own family members. And these guys have good news that out here there's a buffet that's free that anybody can have and plenty of money and all kinds of food. And, 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 and the Bible is very clear. It's going to reduce food prices in a matter of minutes when all this stuff hits. Those of you who are interested in markets, you've got to read this chapter. Do they have a purpose now? Can you see them hustling back into the city with good news? Do they have a purpose? I assure you they are the most important people in that community. They're more important than the mayor. They're more important than the king. They're more important than all the businessmen and women in the city. Why? Because they have the good news that everybody needs. And here's what I want to say to all of us here today. Let me just time out for a moment. The number one question that people ask when, when they're asked, if you could ask God any question you want to ask, I always think it's going to be, why is there evil in the world? Why do bad things happen to good people? You know what the number one question that people say they would ask God if they could ask him any question 
What is my purpose? What am I here for? Now, guys, please, please, I'm trying to get this myself, and I hope you get it. If you will see yourself as a recipient of God's grace, and if you will determine to give grace to everybody in your life, you will never again have to ask what your purpose for living is. You will never again have to ask what God's will is for your life. Because you won't have to find your purpose, your purpose will find you. And you won't have to find God's will because God's will will find you. See, the reason why a lot of us can't find God's will is we want to live selfish lives and then have God give us purpose too. And that's just not going to happen. And you can bombard every Christian leader with, how can I know God's will for my life? And it'll be the same futile, useless process that it's been all your life. But if you will determine that you are a recipient of grace, and every day of your life, you're going to wake up in the morning and saying, how can I add value to everybody's life around me? You won't ever have to find your purpose. Your purpose will come looking for you every day of your life. And you'll be like these lepers. You'll leave with no grace, and you'll come back full of grace and full of purpose and full of a reason for living. You're interested? Because the Bible says we are to become stewards of the multicolored grace of God. Now, I want to do something that I'm not really good at here, but work with me if you don't mind for a few moments. I want to challenge you to think about four categories of grace. I'm never good at categorization. But I want to try my best to share with you that you have received four categories of grace. And you and I need to think about sharing these four categories. So we've gone from really a message to a workshop. Let's start now with the most important kind of grace at all. I mean, just, just, you don't have to answer me back, but think with me for a moment. Of all the kinds of grace that you've received from God, which is the most important? With me, it's redemptive grace. Because Jesus asked the question, what is a person profited if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? What am I profit if I drive a fleet of Bentleys or Rolls Royces and live in multi-million dollar homes and hang with the rich and famous? What am I profited if I don't even have to work and I can do anything I want to do and live my life in luxury and pleasure? What am I profited if I live a hundred years and then die and go to hell? What am I profited? So this is the reason why the grace of God, is the redemptive grace of God is the most important thing to me because what I know is no matter what happens to me in this life, I am God's child. Whatever happens to me, I'm forgiven. Whatever happens to me, when as soon as I leave this life, I'm going to the big dance. The best is yet to come. Have you received that grace? Remember, it's a gift. You don't get it by joining church. I've told you so many times, baptism is a wonderful thing, but Wichita water can't wash away anybody's sins. You know, it's not that you, you know, good enough because nobody's good enough. Have you received that grace? If you have, let me ask you a question. Do you share that grace? Or do you just hide it like the lepers? Yeah, I know I'm going to heaven. Cool. I want to do something. I made my mind up a year ago I would do this every year. In a talk last year, I, I've challenged you to think about how that it isn't just ministers and missionaries who are to communicate the good news. I, I challenge you to communicate how to have a relationship with God to the people in your lives. And there's a reason for this. I mean, follow the progression of these three verses. In 2 Corinthians 5, 19, the Bible says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. I love this line. No longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us, okay, work with me. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Well, if you and I are saved by believing, what's the core of that? You have to have a message to believe. And the message is that Jesus came into our world. So what did he say? He gave us the 
message. All right, read the next verse. God has given to us the task of reconciling people to him. So now you have the message, that's the basis, and now God has said, hey, it's your task. And then verse 20, so based on that, we are Christ ambassadors. So every one of us, we need to realize that we're going to come across people who need God's redemptive grace, and we can share that. What I determined I was going to do every year is I was going to give you four or five verses that you can share with a friend. If you ever talk to a friend and ask them if they have a relationship with God, you can open your Bible. You don't have to call Mark. I mean, that would be fine. I'd be glad to help you if you can get me. And it's always great to invite people to New Spring, which makes Easter and Palm Sunday a wonderful opportunity. But we had a lady in our church who led her brother to the Lord before he passed by sharing these verses that I'd shared in a message. And I decided every year I was going to share these verses with you. So if you want, whatever you're taking notes on, if you want to copy down these five verses, you can share the good news of Jesus Christ with anybody. This is sort of the outline of where we are and what we need in order to have a relationship with God. Okay, let me start here. And by the way, these will probably be on the internet on the website after this talk. Romans 3, verse 10. No one is righteous. No, not one. Oh, how about that for starters? People say, well, I think I'm good enough. Well, we just saw nobody's good enough. Romans 3, 23. For, for everyone has sinned. And we've all come short of the glory of God. None of us is 4.0. You, you may be 3.97. I may be 0.53. But we've all fallen short of God's perfect standard. Well, so that makes us all sinners. Well, where does that leave us? Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Aren't you glad for that? God didn't say, okay, see if you can improve yourself, and if you get up to this level, I'll come and help you. No. God sent Jesus to die for us when we were still rebels and sinners. You know, God loves people who, who don't believe in him. God loves people who don't love him. God loves people... You know, who, who constantly flip him off. God is a loving God. In fact, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, he loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to condemn or judge the world, but to save the world through him. So the basis of our having a right relationship with God is that Jesus took our punishment. And my favorite verse and sharing my faith with someone is Romans 6.23. It just kind of like has the whole story in one verse. For the wages of sin is death. I'm a sinner. What's my paycheck? Eternal separation from God. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift, the free gift, the free gift, the free gift. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. There's only one way to receive grace, and that's to receive it as a gift. How do you, how do you walk across the line to have a relationship with God? Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, the heart's not the, here the heart's not the pump in your chest, it's your inner person. It's what you really believe. In other words, if, you, if your outward confession of Christ is the same as what you truly believe on the inside, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then verse 13, for everyone, how about that for a percentage? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Guys, I want to tell you something. You can take those verses and you can share your faith with anybody and invite them to pray to receive Christ. Share your redemptive grace. Number two, the second kind of grace, if we're going to categorize grace, to me is daily grace. Because every day, I, I just have things in my life that show me that God loves me. 
And you and I need to do the same thing. Everybody around us needs to feel a touch of God's grace, a touch of God's kindness. Have you ever known somebody, and maybe you don't, maybe you don't use terminology like this, but I do. Have you ever known somebody who say, you know, she's just a person of grace. You know, he's just a gracious person. What do we mean? Think with me. Think, think, think. What do we mean when we say, you know, she's just gracious? Here's what I mean. I mean, like, every time I interact with that person, I feel like I've been added to. I, you ever talk to somebody? You just, you love, talk, I mean, you love it when they come to town. You love it when they come into your office. It's just like every time you talk to them, it's like they just handed you a gift. On the other hand, you ever talk to somebody every time you have, interact with them, you feel like you've been robbed? It's like you just, I mean, you say, Mark, I'm married to a guy like that. Every time I talk to him, I feel like I've been robbed. Or I'm married to a woman like that. I mean, she, I just feel like, I feel like I've just been cut to ribbons and robbed. See, that's, that's the thing. This is what I'm talking about. We are children of God. And so what we need to do is we need to add grace to everybody on a daily basis. And when people see us coming, they ought to see a plus sign. We have a, we have a lady in our office. She manages our front desk. And, and it's like all of us who are on staff, we just know. We, when we walk by her desk, we're just going to get added to I bet you, and I can't prove this, but I bet you I have staff that just walk by that desk on a bad day just to hear from her. Here's what the Bible says. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification. I'll set that word aside because I bet you didn't use the word edification 12 times last week. <laughs> According to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to the hearers. Let's work backwards. When we talk, we've been, we've been already talking about this one, so the one at the end, to give grace, to add to. And then it says, the need of the moment. You ever have somebody talk to you and you think, this is not the time? You ever, you ever like have somebody at work come in to tell you something and it's like, you know, everybody's under pressure, you got a deadline, and they come in and talk about something that might be important, but it's not important today? So the Bible says that whenever we communicate with people, they should feel like they've been added to, and it should be fitting for the moment. And then it says, the only thing that should come out of our mouth is that which is good for edification. Now, the root word of edification is edifice. Well, what's an edifice? Edifice is a beautiful building. I mean, you know, when you don't pass a shack that's falling down, it's like, oh, look at that edifice. No, you, you look at Sistine Chapel, that's an edifice. So the Bible is saying this, every one of us, every day of our lives, things are coming out of us. And the Bible says only, only the things that are good for building up a beautiful building. Guys, when you talk to your wife, you're building a beautiful building. And the only thing that come out of your, comes out of your mouth is that which is good for building a beautiful building. Ladies, if you're married, when you talk to your husband, use your imagination. You are building a beautiful building. See, here's the thing. You know why, you know why it's like nervous laughter going through here? Because that's not what we do. Because we're thinking about us and how the relationship bears on us and protecting our space. But we're recipients of grace. We got a fountain inside of us. We have an, we have an unlimited supply. The God who has poured out grace on us, he's not limited. Everything belongs to him. So if we give away grace, we don't have to worry. He'll just keep infusing. James said he gives more grace. Parents, when you talk to your kids, you're building a beautiful edifice. When you're talking to your friends, you're building a beautiful edifice. 
daily grace. Got to hustle. Number three, uh uh-oh, resource grace. Every one of us has been given resources. Now we're talking about money, time, and possessions. You you see the attitude of the lepers uh, belongs to us now. We were starving to death before. We were going to die, but now we got something, and it belongs to us, and we're going to hide it. But they were smart enough to say, this isn't right. This is a day of good news. And could I just say to all of us who have been given resources and money and, and gifts, God intends for us to be givers, not takers. And I'm going to tell you something. This is where I want to, I want to get to. You know, <laughs> A lot of us give stuff as long as it's not important to us. And that's the basis on which we'll give. That's the basis on which we'll give to people in need. That's the basis, like, like when we have an offering here at the church, that's the basis on which we give. You know, that's the basis on how we give our time. If we don't need it very much, then it's all right, we'll give it away. The other, a couple of weeks ago, Mary Alice had her minivan packed in the back with stuff to take to the Goodwill. Bags and bags and bags of stuff. She went through her closet. She didn't want it anymore. Went through my closet. She decided I didn't want it anymore. And you know what? I just felt like the biggest, I didn't really feel like it, but I mean, as far as like on volume, I was a huge giver. Man, bags and bags and bags of stuff that I don't want anymore. Bags and bags of stuff that aren't important to me. I want to tell you something. If you feel, if you feel like you're a giver because you're just giving a little pittance of what really matters to you, you're not really a giver of grace. Let's be real. Because you're like those lepers who are digging a hole and saying, belongs to me now. Oh, it's very quiet in here. There's a line here. There's a line between people who get it and people who don't get it. And people who don't get it tend not to get it. People who do get it tend to get it even more. I can never understand why the rich get richer and the poor get poorer in this regard. But see, the people who give of time and resources and and possessions, things that really matter, here is what they understand that others of us don't understand. They understand that God gave it to them in the first place. Okay, maybe they earned it, but God gave them the intellect to go through grad school, go through med school, go through law school. God's the one who gave them the ability to get that MBA. And then they understand that God created opportunities, that lots of people with the same education didn't get the same opportunities. And God, they know that God brought all kinds of things into their lives that other people would not have. And here's what they said. If God could give me this, he can give me more. So I'm just going to give this away, and the same God who gave it to me will give me more. That is what people who are givers get that people who are takers never get. Finally, and I, I don't, I just, I'm out of time already. I'm in a minute of overtime. My goodness. Okay, let me just throw this out. Special grace. Every one of us is uniquely gifted. There are things you can do the person sitting next to you can't do. She would love to be able to do it, but it's just that you've been gifted. Things that she can do that you can't do. All, God makes each one of us especially able to do things to change the world. And if you're a Christ follower, to advance his kingdom. And so what I need to think about is, okay, I mean, maybe I'm not the most gifted person in the world, but what gift has God invested in me that could change the world? Because every single one of us have this. And here's the thing. I need to take those gifts that I have and utilize them to bring value to other people. All I'm saying to you today is you were made to be a fountain of grace, to share redemptive grace, 
daily grace, resource grace, and special grace. And I really I don't have time to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I have the privilege of meeting a friend one day. He came to New Spring several years ago. When he first came here, he, he didn't believe in God. I think it was the first time he'd ever even been to church in his life. He was like 50 years old. And I still remember meeting him. He sat right down here by the front. And at the end of the service, when I went down to meet him, and I liked him instantly. For you too, those of you too young, you, you won't know who I'm talking about. But he reminded me of Jerry Garcia, the Grateful Dead. And, and he just, he, he here's his first words to me. I don't know about this Jesus dude. But I like listening to you talk. And, and he came to faith in Christ. And wow, did he come to faith. He, he passed. But when he passed, I think his faith was greater than mine. Could I tell you that all around you there are people that they may not verbalize it, but that's what they're saying. I don't know about this Jesus. When I was a kid, I heard a talk that a minister gave. And this minister said, your life is the only Jesus some people will ever know. And that's true. All around you, there are people who are saying to me what my friend said. I don't know about this Jesus. But if he's anything like her, I want to know him. I don't know about this Jesus, but see, if you're a, if you're a giver and you're a fountain of grace, there are going to be people who say, if he's anything like him, That's what makes life worth living. Thank you for being here today. I appreciate you being here so much. Don't forget, next week is Palm Sunday. Week after that is Easter. And six services that week. We'll buy your breakfast if you come at 8 o'clock. Or if you want to come to one of the other services, we won't buy your breakfast. But we'll be so glad to see you. <laughs> May God bless you. We'll see you guys next week.